0: welcome to the Peterson's
1: bow hunting podcast all bow hunting all the time Now here's your host editor Christian Berg All right welcome to the bow hunting podcast We're all bow hunting all the time and today we have a great bow hunting story for all of you with a great guest uh, Emily Shad. Ohio big buck killer extraordinaire, and she has done it again. Emily, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Christian. Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And I mean, wow, there's just something going on in Ohio. Uh, This late season, there were some really big deer uh, killed at the bitter end. And I do mean bitter because it was cold, cold, cold. And you managed to uh, get it done on the second to last day of the season on another great buck. You had killed an absolute giant in 2020. And you followed it up in 20, I say 2021. It really was 2022 by the time you did it. But the 20... (laughs) 2021 season so i mean i am super pumped for you and i can't wait to kind of go through this whole thing because i know it was a long uh, saga to finally get that deer on the ground
0: yeah it was a very very long season like you said there was a lot of like really good giant deer that seemed to be killed in january i feel like december was kind of a slow month because of the heat and stuff and then january once we got that snow and ice and stuff it really picked up
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because this is the second episode now that I've done, like, in the past month about giant deer getting killed in Ohio. Pretty much that same time frame of, you know, later in January. So, I think it was January. Was yours in February?
0: Yeah, February 5th.
1: Yours was So, Clint's was late January. Yours was the 5th of February, which you said was was the second to last day, right? The season ended on the 6th. Yeah, so, yeah,
0: I think Clint had killed his like a week, or a little more than a week prior to mine. It was really close.
1: <laughs> yeah, I kn- and I know like Clint was telling me, you know, about like frostbite on his hands, and you were telling me about how cold it was when you killed. Like, what was the temperature there on that
0: hunt? Um. I believe that day, it was right around 20 degrees and dropping, but when I had killed him, it was a cold day. At least it wasn't windy, but it was very cold.
1: So, I mean, kudos to you, my hat's off, because as I told Clint, there just, there really aren't that many bow hunters. Bow hunters in particular, you know, some guys who are into gun hunting. They really like maybe going out with the flintlock late in the year or the muzzle loader. But there aren't that many bow hunters who really stick with it to the bitter end. And especially people like you who hunt hard from the beginning to the end. So it's really a story of how perseverance pays off in the end. And So with that in mind, I kind of want to flip all the way back, right? Because I'm thinking about when Ohio archery season opens sometime in late September, right? So we gotta go way back in the calendar, right? Let's go all the way back to the summer of 2021. And if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of an exciting year for you. I think you had purchased some new property and you were doing a bunch of habitat projects. And I know you had, you know, a lot of cameras out. So you were probably going into last fall feeling like, hey, this is gonna be my best season ever.
0: Yeah, so I'll just do a quick rundown of the summertime. So, you know, I did purchase my first farm. Um, that wasn't until September 1st. It was a little late in the game. I knew I, pro- unless for some reason I had a crazy giant show up on camera, you know, I wasn't able to do enough work and establish enough stuff and learn the place yet to even really hunt it. So I was just basically just running cameras all during both season there to try to learn what was going on. But my main focus was on all the other properties I hunt because for the first time, um, 2021 summer was like the best summer for getting velvet photos of bucks. I had just numerous really good two and three-year-olds that just had so much potential, such good genetics to be true giants here in a couple, three years or so. Um, And for the first time, I actually had four mature shooters that I had the opportunity to go after, which, you know, normally it's hard enough to find, you know, one or two, let alone four. Some, you know, I felt really confident on my knowledge with these deer because, you know, I've followed these deer along for so many years and have sheds and photos where I kind of knew what they did. But, um, so I have really high hopes going into 2021 bow season that actually I was going to get it done early again um, so that's that's what my plan was.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, man, I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, you know, we never learn no matter how many years we bow hunt, we fall. It's like that's like the coyote and the roadrunner. You know, it's like we fall for these same traps over and over again. I've been there so many times, you know, you got these big deer on your cameras They're looking great. They're super regular. You're like, man, these deer live here. I am going to like get on these. And then like the season opens up and you're like, what in the world? I can't believe it. You know, it's like, oh, better analogy is Charlie Brown, you know, and Lucy. It's like, oh, I went to kick the ball. I can't believe she pulled it away again. So, you know, tell, (laughs) tell me your story about. Um, you know, what happened? You know, you had these deer and, and by the way, let me just stop for a second. How big again was the freak? We ran a big feature. Some of you, I'm sure if you get the magazine, you know about Emily's buck from 2020. She called it the freak. What, what was the score on that deer again?
0: He had a gross score of 190 and eighths.
1: So, okay. So she's coming off a season where she killed a 190. I know. At the end of that story, you know, she's not shy. Emily has a goal to kill a 200 here at some point, and I'm sure it won't be. Well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. There's no guarantee any of us ever even see a 200, never mind kill one. But I wouldn't bet against you, Emily, because I know how you work. But anyway, long story short, you had killed, you know, your biggest deer of your life, an incredible 190-inch deer. Now you've got a bunch more shooters on camera you just bought a farm so you're you know you're excited about what the future holds there so man you're thinking everything is finally starting to roll your way as you head into you know late september
0: yeah yeah pretty much um there was a few things that kind of changed once they started transitioning to you know september when they started to shed velvet um the one particular deer that I figured that I'd have the best chance to kill an early season that I called a heavy, which I'll talk about him a little bit here later on. Um, he, I had passed him literally every year of his life in early season. I always had an opportunity at him in early season. I knew he was going to be my best shot because the third week of October is when he usually um, moved off to his rut location and then he wouldn't come back until late season. So I kind of knew I had like the first two or three weeks to work with there on him. Um, The other shooter, he usually would disappear when he shed velvet and he did. He completely vanished, never really even got any night pictures of him at all. So I knew he was kind of out of the question for early season. And then the other two bucks, they were just, they weren't really Regular, even in the summer, you know, they would show up here and there and everywhere. Um, So their patterns changed a little bit, especially with the one he I knew he was going to be real tough to kill because he just turned five and a half. And it just seemed like his whole mentality and everything just turned a 360 on me. And I wasn't expecting that because he'd done the same thing for so many years in a row. Um, so my main goal was really to try to go after heavy because I knew he was going to be one of my most killable deer in early season.
1: So, yeah, you figured, so you figured you had at least one good buck where you had had some history with that deer and he was at the point, you know, last fall where you were figuring he was mature enough to go ahead and put him on your, your shooter list. Yep. Yep. So tell me about this. Were all these deer on the same property? You know, you talk about four different bucks. Were they spread out, or four different areas, or all kind of within the same area?
0: Uh, three different properties. That's gotcha. what they're on. So they were kind of spread out. Yeah.
1: So when the, so when opening day came, you just kind of focused on then this buck that you called heavy.
0: Yes. Yep. I knew he would probably be the most um, killable, the most patternable, because, you know, I, I have actually I got all of, I have all of his sheds from him um, clear up into the this current year when I was chasing at age five and a half. Um, I've done a lot of photography of him, had thousands of trail camera photos. So I felt pretty confident um, on him. So that's kind of where I had started. Um, but the start of bow season kind of turned and took a big flop for the worst on unexpected things that I wasn't planning on happening that was beyond my control um, with new out-of-state neighbors that had moved in, which ended up pretty well ruining most of my hunting season, especially for trying to target that deer and another buck on the same property as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you told me some of those stories. You actually had You kind of had a nightmare scenario with these guys, didn't you?
0: Yeah, it was. I won't go into a lot of detail about it. Um, They were non-local, out-of-state people, so, you know, they don't know me. I don't know them. We still know nothing about each other because it was just a royal nightmare all season long, you know, battling back and forth every time they were here. Um, But it, you know, just... To boil things down, they somehow gained access to landlocked property that I was hunting a field edge to, Um, So, which was honestly the worst possible thing that could have happened. Plus, they gained permission to hunt that place, and they honestly were hunting that place and not even their own place (laughs) that they had, and They were hanging sets literally 50 yards from mine facing me, and we literally could see each other sitting in the tree stand. They were walking by my stand while knowing that I was in it. They would come out like 20 minutes to a half hour or so early every single night on purpose because there was deer in front of me, and I don't know if they were mad because there were deer in front of me and not them. So they would walk out. And I mean, when they were walking out beside me, it was within 20 yards of my stand and they'd come through, blow all the deer out. They would talk and drive side to sides. I mean, it was just unbelievable chaos that I had to deal with that no, you know, hardworking, respectful hunter should ever have to deal with. You know, I don't wish that upon anybody, but it was, it was just beyond a nightmare. And it's like, just when you would think that, wow, maybe they'll realize that I'm here and do something different. They never did. It just continued to get worse and worse and worse. The pressure became so bad that it seemed like I never was even getting pictures of heavy, period, because of all the chaos. The bucks were disappearing. Deer weren't daylighting anymore. I mean, it was just complete ridiculousness.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, it's hard to even, like, I think we've all had situations where people were just, basically trying to piss us off on purpose and it's super super frustrating um did they ever give you any indication that they were like like you said you know oh they're walking that close they had to know you were there did they ever like give you like a wave or anything to just like let you know like yeah we know you're there and we're just screwing you on purpose
0: yeah they they gave little little hints of things like they would see me go into the stand or vice versa and they would though I remember the one the one night the guy literally grunted and rattled in the stand solid for the last two hours and he never stopped on purpose and it was the most crazy thing I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> and he did it on purpose thinking it was gonna mess you know me up or whatever but the crazy thing is is every time they were here it's like they just kept doing it and doing it and it's like they were ruining it for themselves let alone me so nobody was winning the game at this I mean If everybody just could have had some common courtesy and respect and got along and, you know, everybody just would have cooperated, things could have been different for everybody.
1: Yeah, we could do a whole episode just on that, right? I mean, sounds yeah, like yeah. sounds like these guys were like, you know, we don't really care if we get a deer, but we just want to make sure we spike the person across the property line, you know? I mean,
0: yeah, uh, I mean that's that's how it was starting to feel, and it was just, I mean, it was so frustrating. I mean, you can't, you couldn't help but just get frustrated and angry and depressed and just wanting. I mean, it just made me want to quit hunting because you couldn't even enjoy it for the fact that you couldn't even sit in a stand one night without something taking place.
1: <laughs> so so how long did this go on? And like you said, you know, it's very frustrating. It's defeating. I know you obviously had access to... Other places, you know, because I don't think we're talking about your farm at this point. We're talking about another property. And and I think you mentioned that there were a couple others as well. So, I mean, did you just decide, like, I'm going to shift gears and how long did it take you to say, all right, you know, I'm not going to keep on trying to beat my head against the brick wall over here. I'm going to I'm going to go pivot to plan B.
0: So I stayed pretty persistent with it because I was kind of wanting to just prove a point that hey I'm you know I've been here for years I'm not backing down no matter what you do to try to torture me it's not going to work so I was kind of just trying to prove a point at the same time and then in another aspect is honestly none of the other bucks were even even remotely predictable you know I hunt very small acreages so it's not like I could really pattern a deer figuring out a deer I wasn't getting any daylight you know, photos at this point of any of the other bucks, the buck that I call dagger had not showed back up yet. He usually never did until November. So it's kind of like, it was this one deer and that was it because I'm not going to go and hunt another farm when there's nothing even coming in just to go hunt there and end up, you know, creating smart does and smart deer and, you know, just kind of blowing the place out until, you know, the time that I really need to go there and hunt. So I just kind of, I stuck with it as long as possible. Luckily, they were only here for like a week in October. We battled then and then they were here for a couple weeks in November, which was really bad because it was even got even worse. Um, but they they actually finally threw in the towel and gave up and ended up leaving and not coming back uh, The pretty much the opening day of gun season. That was the last time that I saw them, thankfully. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, you know, I've had a couple of things like that over the years. I had a property uh, back in the day before I lived where I live now. I had a property closer to a uh, a city here in Pennsylvania. And man, we'd have so much trouble. I would get tree stands stolen off of that oh, wow. property. And you know what? Like. Just kind of the same thing. I was like, you know what? And, you know, I had an unfair advantage to a certain extent being in the industry, you know? So, I, I mean, I do sometimes get people will, like, send me some stands. I'd be like, you know what? You steal one, I'll put up two. You steal it again, I'll put up four. Your ability to steal stands, and I was chaining and locking these things. So they were going through effort, right? I mean, they had to come out with the bolt cutters and get up there and cut, you know. So I'm like, "That's crazy. I'm going to make you work for it. You know, I will, my ability to erect stands will surpass your ability to steal them. Why, I should, you know what I should have done? I should have just started saddle hunting, but I didn't know about that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> from getting stand stolen that way <laughs> that's right take it but, take it in take it out <laughs> oh I have
1: been there and I know like oh we all know better you know I mean the people who are yeah. doing that to you they should know better we should know better than to like dig our heels in and be like you know what you want to play this game I'll show you and it's like <laughs> it never it never turns out well you know what I mean for <laughs> anybody
0: no it never does and I'm a really stubborn person I am not the type of person to back back down give up or let anybody run over top of me so i was in for it for the long haul to the bitter end however long it took (laughs) i was standing my ground
1: (laughs) well and that's you know but again that's why we're doing the episode so you know in this case you 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 know you stood your ground you, you tried to make the best of it but it's that perseverance you know that ultimately pays off for you and again you know it's I don't want to make too much of it, but, like, I mean, you you can see, Emily, if you're watching. By the way, I keep having to say this now every episode, Emily, because we we switched to this new format. We rebranded as the Bowhunting Podcast, so if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google or wherever you get it. If you want to see the video version, you get on our YouTube channel and you can watch all the episodes with the video so you can see Emily, she's a lovely woman there. She probably weighs about 100 pounds or so. She you know she's not a <laughs> so real big wet. person. So here's this, here's this girl, you know, who is not like somebody that would intimidate you on the street and she's like standing up to these guys. She's getting up every morning at the crack She is like fierce that like is way beyond what you would think when you just look at her. And that's what always impresses me about you, Emily. So so you dealt with this. So now what happens? You know, obviously season's going on and you're still even after these guys are gone now. I mean, you just took us even with just these guys. You know, you said, you know, these guys kind of screwed it up. You weren't seeing heavy. None of those other bucks that you had on camera were showing up you know, at least during the day, anytime, obviously you would have gone and hunted them if you, if you thought that they were killable. And now you just brought us basically to the beginning of gun season. And so now, even if those guys weren't in the picture, which like you said, they finally left after opening day, but now you got to deal with all the gun hunters and everybody knows, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in Ohio, Pennsylvania, any, any state that has a gun season, I mean, we all hate it if we're hardcore bow hunters because it it screws everything up and it just creates more unpredictability. And so, like, yeah, opening yeah. day for first Saturday of gun season, whatever it is. Like, as a bow hunter, you're always thinking, like, man, there's just as much a chance that a gun hunter like pushes a giant to me as I push a giant to a gun hunter, you know, and it, I don't know about you, but that makes me super paranoid about walking around in the woods during gun season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll take a step back real quick. So, um, actually while they were about the same time they were here in November, cause they were here like the first week or two, um, in November. So, Heavy just ended up becoming showing up less and less on camera. I think if we didn't have so much pressure and stuff with them and all the disturbances, he would have probably hung around more. So he kind of moved off to his rut location a little bit earlier, I think, due to all that. And he actually ended up getting harvested um, by one of the other neighbors in the beginning of November, which he's a great guy. was his biggest buck to date. He was super pumped. I was pumped for him. It was, you know, I was really glad that he got him. So at that point, Heavy's out of the question. So, you know, we're down to three shooters. Um, and,
1: and just because you didn't really say earlier, and I am curious, I imagine that listeners are too, how big was Heavy? What, what kind of rack did he have? And, and um, you know, just some details about him.
0: So Heavy was, a, he was not a good genetic Buck, he's not a buck that you would want to keep in the system for very long. Um, But I had hopes that maybe he might do something a little bit more, but he never did. He always was just how he got the name heavies. He always had a giant bull body. He was a big bully. He always had the big, massive curling beams and stuff that wrapped around. He was usually always a, you know, an eight point. Um, Actually, this past season, he had turned into um, an 11 point for the first time. Um, but he was never a high-scoring deer because he had short tines and stuff. But he was super massive. So I think they had um, grossed him at like one one forty-three or something along those lines. He was a main frame eight, but he had the couple little points to make him a ten, and then he had a kicker to make him the 11th point.
1: So he was like a cool gnarly old buck, but not yeah, not, not super a old
0: buck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he I mean, was just a really cool deer. And I just loved him because I had all the sheds off of him and so many encounters with him. He, I mean, he was like one of my favorite deer, <laughs> even oh, though he wasn't the most giant in the woods.
1: <laughs> Th- those are some of the coolest deer, you know? Like, I think that the buck that I shot over at, you know, Clint's last November was a deer like that. I mean, he had, he had like a goofy rack with like that extra beam off of his base and stuff. And he was a cool deer, but I mean, he wasn't going to like, score a ton you know what i mean but yeah. just just a cool trophy i mean um okay so so he's obviously out of the he's out of the gene pool which you were yep. happy about and uh <laughs> so, so so continue on with your story
0: so i think it was october 30th um i had finally got pictures of dagger which is another buck um he was kind of a non-typical gnarly looking He was a really cool buck Um, he always disappeared once he shed velvet and he usually came back the beginning of November. So he did the same thing, just like clockwork as he's always done the previous years. Um, and he was actually daylighting like constantly. But the thing was, is he was daylighting and moving around on so many different cameras around the property, the neighboring property and stuff that had cameras everywhere. It's just like, you couldn't figure out where, where you really wanted to target him at. i probably the best bet to kill him would have just been sitting in one stand and just staying there. Um, but kind of with all the pressure with them being here and stuff, I was trying to kind of move around and figure out, you know, where he was going, what he was doing. I saddle hunted for him and did hanging hunts for him. And I actually saw him three times, three different days from the stand, but it's just like, he was always in the wrong place. I was always in the wrong place. I could never get a shot. He was too far. He was here. He was there. And so Actions the season got even worse because after chasing him for a little over a week, um, he ended up breaking off about 12 inches of antler on one side. So at that point, I just quit hunting because, I mean, 12 inches of antler, I'm not going to shoot a deer that's broke off, you know, that many inches and stuff. And there's, I just felt like it was a waste to shoot him after he broke that off. So honestly, I just quit hunting him and I just prayed that he make it through the rest of season. And then just a little uh, short information on him, he actually shed both antlers before the extra weekend of gun season in mid-December. So that was probably the best thing that could have happened to him because anybody still would have shot him, but I wasn't going to. So once he shed his antlers, I knew he was good unless somebody accidentally shot him as a doe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think that there was something wrong with him to shed that early?
0: So he normally in previous years would shed early in January. Um, he just always kind of shed early, but he, he must've hurt. He had hurt his back leg around the rut time. Kind of his ankle and stuff was swollen. I don't know if maybe he, I'm not, I couldn't see a physical wound, but you knew that something was wrong there. So I think that's why he shed extra early um, but it was nothing that ever, like, you know, made him go downhill. There wasn't a physical injury wound that you could see. So I'm not really sure what happened to him, but that is probably why he did shed extra early this year.
1: Gotcha. So so now heavy's out of the equation. Dagger's out of the equation. I, I can't remember what other deer. I don't know if you mentioned their names, but just seems like they're falling like dominoes here. on <laughs> Yeah. Yeah
0: they're falling like dominoes. And so it was literally, I passed up, I don't know how many, just unbelievable two and three year olds that just most people would shoot in a heartbeat. But it's like, I can see, (laughs) I can see the potential in them. And I'm like, this deer really has the potential to be something special in a couple of years. Some of them I passed two and three times um i had passed another buck on another farm that was actually would score more than the one i ended up killing um and he probably 95 percent of people would have shot that deer and i didn't do it i'm pretty proud of myself because i look back at that i'm like man that was a big deer <laughs> and i okay let him so talk,
1: but so so let's you know this is the thing about you and clint And it's funny. And again, people, if you read the magazine a bunch, if you listen to the podcast, you know that Clint Casper and and Emily live not too, too far from each other in Ohio and definitely are good friends and keep in touch with each other. And, you know, it's interesting because you guys have similar philosophies on your bow hunting, but... I mean, it's not like you grew up bow hunting together. You got to know each other. You were both very serious bow hunters at that point. But you know, Clint likes to talk about never settle, and I think that you know it's worth taking a little aside here and talk to me about your sort of philosophy about passing these deer. Because obviously, you know, you do live in an area where the hunting is good. You do. You're fortunate to have, you know no i mean it's not like there's one behind every tree but there's a decent number of mature bucks in your area and you know that if you pass deer there's a real legitimate chance that they can live to kind of get to this you know true max size so you know i've always struggled to do that being from pennsylvania you know i tend to err on the side of let's let's punch the tag um how do you for for people like me emily who need you know we need your help we can't pass 140s you know waiting for 150s you're passing 160s waiting for for 180s you know uh, how do you what what do you say and 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 you know how do you what's your thought process when these deer are standing you know 12 yards under your tree
0: so i feel like for me growing up in the state like you said there is you know, a better opportunity for bigger deer to be around than in other states like Pennsylvania, for se. Um, so there is, it is easier to find bigger deer here. And it is a gamble, especially this past year for letting deer walk, because probably 80% of the deer that I passed did get killed, which really sucks. But I mean, it's reality, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but I feel like, you know, since I started bow hunting so early, I kind of always had just set goals for myself. You know, I was little, I killed my first buck. So dad always told me don't shoot anything smaller than your first buck." So, My next goal is to shoot something bigger. So my first archery buck was bigger than my first gun buck. And then after that, it's like, okay, I got it out of my system. So I just kept setting goals for myself. So then I was like, well, I'm not gonna shoot anything unless it's 140. So when I accomplished that, and I got a few bucks under my belt and some nice bucks. It's like, okay, I've killed enough, just nice bucks. Now I want to go more towards management side of things and really go for targeting just mature bucks only. Regardless, I mean, obviously if there was 180, 190 inch buck that was, you know, three or four year old living here, knowing the, all the pressure that's around me now, it would probably be really tough to pass that deer because you know right now it probably would not make it. But just like this deer, for instance, that was bigger than the one I ended up taking, he's only a three-year-old and I knew how much he grew from two to three. And I know that if he will make it another year or two, he has the potential to be a booner because I've seen what he's done. So it's kind of just that drive that I want to see more. I want to see what they're going to turn into that kind of allows me to just mentally just say, okay, I am, I tell myself I'm not going to shoot him at the beginning of season. And I don't care if it's the last day of season, I'm still not going to shoot him. And I just, I stick with it. And like Clint's thing is I, you know, you never settle. You, you have a goal and you stick with it regardless if it's the beginning of season or the end of the season, or if you have to eat your tag.
1: Well, a couple things that I pick up on as I hear you talk about that, okay? One is, and I think this is really important for all of us, and it's regardless of whether your goal is like Emily's, which is to shoot, you know, a fully mature deer, probably, you know, at least 170 or, or better, or if your goal is even to just shoot the first legal buck that comes along, because there's nothing wrong with that, right? But the, but the nope. key is, Know what your goal is. You know, Emily's going out there. She's already decided before she climbs into the tree what she's shooting and what she's not shooting that day. I think that's what we all should do because the last thing you want to do, again, even if your goal is to say, hey, I'm going to shoot the first legal buck that comes along. Well, you don't want to be, you know, sitting there at the end of the season kicking yourself for passing you know that that basket racked eight pointer that came by you the first day because if you were willing to shoot that on the last day you might as well shoot it on the first which is just reversing the old saying right Mm -hmm. they always say don't you know don't don't pass anything on the first day that you wouldn't shoot on the last so um now the other thing though is kind of the whole mindset so one you know yeah we should all we should all kind of set a goal and know it and stick to Mm -hmm. it But and then the second thing is what I'm hearing from you as you talk, which is different from what a lot of hunters are going to do, you know, and I've certainly, you know, especially earlier in my hunting, you know, and I think it's natural, right? They talk about the different stages of a sportsman, you know, and there's that killing stage. And I'll call that outcome oriented. You know, many of us go into the woods each fall with the idea that we've got to use that tag. And so the kill is the is the sort of the, the the culmination, right? And we base whether our season was successful or not, whether we punched our tag, and so we're basing it on the outcome. And people like you, Clint, other people who really tend to kind of take those top end animals on a regular basis. I would say you're more process oriented in your mindset, where. You're going to hunt and yes, you you want to to fill your tag, but ultimately if you don't, that's not really going to be the determining factor as to the, the success of your season because to you, it's, you know, the strategy, it's the learning, it's the encounters that you have the, with deer along the way. And, and when it's all said and done, you're either going to look back and you're going to say, well, I killed one of these deer that I wanted to kill or I learned, you know, X, Y, Z. That's going to help me to be uh, a better hunter next year. And I also passed... All those two-and-a-half and, and three-and-a-half-year-old up-and-comers that really were tempting in the moment, but now I'm glad that I've got them to hunt, you know, this coming fall.
0: Yeah, yep. So, like you said, you just kind of have to just set goals for yourself and, you know, stick with them, you know, never never settle or never shy away from your goal, regardless of the end. The beginning, you know, if I have to go a season and eat a tag, so be it. I've done it before. It's not a big deal. Usually, those are the seasons that you learn the most. And the next year, you seem to come back even better by, you know, eating a tag, it seems like. Um, but I just, I really just try to stick to harvesting a deer of mature age. That's all I really go for. I mean, score wise, I still want to, you know, keep it, obviously, try to over one. Forty, preferably on a mature deer um, because usually most mature deer around here are going to be of that size. Um, So I do try to still keep it around, you know, that score because, you know, I hate to shoot anything that's kind of putting me, putting me back to way below where I started, but definitely um, killing a mature deer is where, where I really like to stick with.
1: All right. So let's continue on with your story now. Uh, we got to be getting closer to this uh, big success that you experience, and I'm kind of wondering. Like, I didn't ask you this at the beginning, but I'm going to ask you now. So, I, I mean, because we know, right? We we gave this away at the beginning. We know Emily eventually kills a really nice buck, but I still don't know. Like, do you even have any idea that this buck exists?
0: Yes. Yeah he was one of the he was one of the four. Um, okay. Mature deer that I had to work with, um, but he was kind of towards. The bottom of the lineup because I knew that the first two that I was working with were going to be the most killable. Um, this deer from past seasons is usually the most killable in late season, um, along with the other buck that I have to go after that I've nicknamed Ghost. Hence is how he got his name Ghost this year is because he pretty much ghosted me literally the whole entire season, all the way from the beginning until the end. Um, so. You know, I was completely done hunting on this property altogether that I've dealt with with Heavy and Dagger and with all those guys and stuff because I had nothing left to target at all. So then I started targeting the other farm and the potential of killing ghost or the buck that I ended up killing that I nicknamed Ice. And, and just trying, I mean, honestly, when once gun season, although all the gun seasons, muzzleloader loader seasons, that whole time frame. Nothing was happening. So many good bucks got killed. So many people were hunting. I felt like I was in a depression stage because you go and you check cameras and I was lucky to even show a year and a half old, two and a half year old on any of my cameras. It was just depressing. Like there was nothing nothing there where did they all go did they get all killed so you know I feel like the whole month of December plus the temperatures were extremely warm we had a bunch of rain in December I feel like December I honestly just kind of sat on the sidelines and just continued to check cameras move stuff around but I didn't hunt a bunch in December because there was just nothing to go after the other two shooters were just like, they completely disappeared. Honestly, I had thought that Ghost got killed because I hadn't seen him for three weeks straight, even at night. And he apparently just moved off to a whole different area. I ended up finding out that he was alive um, later on when I saw him in person from the stand, completely avoiding the whole property that I was hunting, which I realized he was there the whole time, but he was just avoiding the property that I was hunting due to certain things. I don't know if it was, you know, trail. Cam- I know he was really weary of trail cameras and stuff. And he just, he got a different pattern. There was different, a bunch of different things that was going on in the neighboring property. There was a standing field of corn where there was never a standing field of corn that got left all winter. I think he was just kind of going from the bedding straight to that corn and down to the hollow to the other guy's corn. So he was just avoiding my area completely, but at least I did know that he was still alive. And I finally figured out what he was doing, but I just didn't have any property to work with to kill him. But I, you know, I still try to stay positive and late seeing that there's a chance that he could, you know, make a change and come in my way. So it kind of, December kind of came and went, and then January It seemed like muzzleloader season was tough. And then things really started to look up once we got that first big snow. And I can't even remember when that was. Was it towards, um, it was after muzzleloader season, we got that big snow. So once we got that, it seemed like your late season patterns and stuff started to really kick in. Because before that, it really hadn't been cold. We hadn't gotten any snow. There was no real reason for any deer to want to feed or to move or do anything. And they really weren't. I mean, nothing was happening. Um, so in January, the first big snow, I was sitting in the stand on that property and that's when I saw ghost. Um, he walked right out of the bedding and he walked right down the hollow. Um, and I was just in disbelief because I was like, he's probably been doing this this whole entire time. And I didn't even know it. I mean, he's been that close all along." So. It wasn't until, um, and I really wasn't getting many pictures of the buck that I ended up killing after gun season. He really became irregular even at night. And he would actually, he was traveling. He originally started at my food plot camera and he would just stay on that property when he would come in at night. The later it got into season, he started traveling like a three mile trip every night. He would, start at the food plot camera or vice versa and he would go a mile and a half down the road and he would be on my other camera in the same night and he would make circles back and forth to where he was even more impossible to kill because he was traveling so much in late season that he wouldn't show up at at either spot in daylight because he was traveling so much um so I kind of just decided to just stick with one spot and go for it you know, that way I wasn't jumping around and, you know, missing an opportunity maybe. So after i had saw ghosts, um, and my days off were very limited note in late season. So I only had, I had a day off during each week and then a Saturday night and a Sunday night that I could hunt. So I can only hunt three nights a week in late season. And when you're down to the wire, there's really not much time that's left. So, I focused on the one property because I knew that's where Ghost hung out at or was close to. And then I knew that the buck that ended up killing was going back and forth and he may possibly come into that property and give me an opportunity. So the week that Clint had killed, I believe was the same week. It was really cold, like brutal temperature, single digits, teens, winds. I ended up doing a hanging hunt in like, 10 inches, we had like 10 inches or so of snow on the ground. And I packed um, my stand and sticks and bow and everything in, and I did a hanging hunt one evening down on that bottom. There was a little tiny corner of the property that I had to hunt that actually ran up across that bottom right where he ghost had walked through uh, the week prior. So I was like, you know, I'm going to hang and hunt. I'm going to see what happens. You know, the wind was right that night. So I got up in the stand. I couldn't get very high because the bedding area was right above me. And I was afraid if I got too high, they would see me. That's kind of how too close I was to the bedding. Um, but I didn't really have an option that late in the game. He never did come in. I think he was bedded on the opposite hill from the way the sun and the wind was going that day. So I did, I left that hang and hunt set up there in case I decided to target it at a different time um so then I couldn't hunt for several days again and then it wasn't until like the last week of bow season there that I had the same three days to hunt again so um the buck that I ended up killing I remember from years past once the end of January and February come he would usually move down to that property and he would kind of stay there for the rest of late season and he would hardly ever show up back at my food plot camera so I kind of betted on maybe getting a chance at him down there so I just continued to hunt that stand and just grind it out until the bitter end and not move not make any changes or hanging hunts or do anything so the last week I hunted hunted there I didn't I didn't really have any buck action at all just does and stuff and then well, let, me, um, let me
1: let me let me let me interrupt you. Just set the scene yeah. for us too. Um, you know the stand that you're talking about. Where where are you? You know what? You know, tell me about your setup. Tell me about. Are you in the woods? Are you on the edge of a field? What you know? Just kind of give me a sense of what the setup is.
0: So yeah, this property is really gnarly. It's a hard property to hunt, and there's not much area to work with. So there was actually a big field and then it drops down over a steep hill on a big um, kind of ridge that goes around the bottom of that field. And the deer like to come and there was a, a, and a steep hill after that ridge that I was on. I had my stand on like kind of the back corner of that ridge. And then there's a little funnel that goes down to a, a creek in the bottom. And then on the other side, it splits into two sides with ridges on them. that. That's where the deer bed. So they always liked to bed over there because that's when the sun would hit and then they would like to come across the bottom. They would either come across the bottom and come towards me or either come out of the bedding and go down the bottom, uh, down towards the hollow where the standing cornfield was. And they would usually come up on that ridge and stuff and then they would make their way out into the field is what they would do. So that's kind of how my setup was there. Um, So it was the last... Yeah, last week of bow season, and the buck I ended up killing, which I nicknamed Ice, which everybody will understand why I'm nicknaming that here in a minute. Um, He started showing every night down there on the camera, which gave me a little more hope that he would eventually daylight. He was getting closer and closer to daylight, but he still wasn't daylighting yet, but I knew that there was a chance. So I continued to sit there. Um, The end of the week, the last week of bow season is when we had that big ice storm hit down here. So the Norse got a bunch of snow. We got a pile of ice. And I mean, it was a lot of ice. There was trees that was breaking, trees down everywhere, limbs and stuff down and broke. So those were the last three days that I had to hunt was that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of season. And that's right after we had that ice, which is all fine and dandy. But let me tell you, it was pretty dangerous to be in the woods with that much ice on the trees because every few minutes there was limbs breaking, there was trees coming down. But I was like, I'm either gonna not hunt or I'm gonna go and risk it and hunt after this ice storm and try to kill the steers. The only two options I have. So I'm like, I'll take my chances of getting conked in the head and I'm gonna go out here and sit in this ice storm. So that's what I did. Yeah, I just
1: um, as I'm hearing you talk about that, uh, I'm just saying, you know, and again, people who listen to the podcast, they know I hate cold, Emily. I I can't I can't stand the cold. I hate winter. And um, honestly, I'm liable to kill a buck like before Thanksgiving if it's even borderline because in the back of my mind i'm like if i if i kill this buck now i don't have to go back out after thanksgiving (laughs) i probably i probably don't have to hunt any more the rest of the year and it's going to get cold and i hate it so like listening to you talk about it i mean i give you props i just i really don't I don't love being out there bow hunting in the snow and the ice. You know, hey, you talk to a guy like Clint, man, he loves it. He's out there in Utah, you know, going through waist-deep snow for miles. It's like, that's a good time for him. I'm like, man, you and Emily can have that stuff. I want to be, like, curled up by the pellet stove in, in January, February. But anyways, with that, please continue your story. You're down to your last three sets. You're going all in, and... Uh, it's getting ready to happen
0: yeah so like you said the cold literally the second half of january was brutally cold single digits teens high winds. so it was it was awful no matter what it was doing i was sitting out there whether i felt like an idiot or not i felt like i had to go so it was the friday and both season ended sunday um that was the day after the ice storm. I went out, it was super, super flipping cold. Um, I saw a bunch of does and stuff, but no bucks at all. So I was like, dang. So I was like, well, I'm going to go Saturday too. So the wind was right. So I went out on Saturday, um, got in the stand, you know, was perfectly calm out. It was a little bit warmer. So it was like a high of 19 or 20. It was a little bit warmer, but it was still freezing. Um, That's by the way, what heated socks and heated vests are for. That's that really does good in the, in the late season. <laughs>
1: okay, I got to interrupt you because I actually just had a buddy text me um, like two weeks ago. He wanted my recommendation on heated socks and heated gloves and that sort of thing. And I was like, I mean, I, I told him a couple of things, but honestly, I was like, dude, I don't hunt that. I, I don't know if it's cold enough that you got to have that, you know. So, Emily... Give me your recommendations. You're you're more experienced hunting in the cold when you need that stuff. Plus, you're only like you said you weigh ninety eight pounds soaking wet, so you don't you know you need a little bit of extra help to stay warm in that. Yeah, that I cold need food. I
0: need lots of extra extra help to stay warm in the tree stand, or I'll turn into a popsicle. But honestly, I can't even. That's terrible. I can't even remember the brand of my vest and socks, but they are the same brand, and I can't even remember where I found. I think it was Cabela's that I found them on. So I mean, you can find them on multiple different websites and stuff. So there's all kinds of companies that make this stuff. And like I said, I feel dumb. I can't even remember off the top of my head what the brand is now. But I am very impressed with them. Um, and it really saved my late season. Without them, I literally, without them and hand warmers, I would have just had to just stay home. <laughs> so well, and- it's good.
1: At least at least they work. We don't know what they were, but they worked really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So down to the Saturday before the end of bow season, you know, it's cool. I said it's 19 or 20, but it's completely calm. The wind is pretty good. Um, It was, I think, a south, a southwest, south, southwest. So south is starting to get a little sketchy for my stand because how they come up. Um, from that bottom and up that draw that comes up to me is kind of south wind kind of blows that direction but you know this late in the game who cares so I'm sitting in the stand and normally the deer come either from my right or they come kind of out in front of me so I can see them when they're coming when I see deer coming I get stood up and ready and I stand the rest of the evening I don't sit back down once deer start coming in I've learned my lesson on that in the previous years so I'm sitting there and, you know, the ground is so hard and frozen that when deer walk, they don't, they're not sinking through the snow. They're literally just walking on top. So you can't hear them when they're coming. And I happen to see some out of my peripheral vision. And I kind of look down and here's this doe and fawn. They came from behind me, which they normally don't come in from behind me. And they literally walked right underneath my stand. Lisa fawn did. The doe, of course, you know, big does are, they have to go downwind first and be a pain in the butt. So, you know, she went downwind and to my right. And all of a sudden she just looks straight up at me and starts stomping and, you know, giving me the head bob. And I'm like, this can't possibly be happening because if she blows, my whole night is going to be ruined regardless of a buck is coming or not. So she starts doing the head bob thing and she starts stomping and stuff. And I'm just Praying that she doesn't start blowing and she never did. Thankfully, she kind of got comfortable again. She could kind of sense, obviously, she knew that something was there, but it wasn't enough to really spook her off. So she ended up coming around, but she she kept an eye on me. So it's like I'm stuck. I feel like I can't get up, I can't do anything because she's just keeping an eye on me the whole time. So I'm kind of watching her and I see something to my right out of my peripheral vision across the creek literally walking right in front of my hang and hunt setup that I still have down there from the week prior. And I see this single deer, a big dark body, and I'm like, that's a buck. It has to be a buck. And sure enough, it was. I could see some white antlers in between this and that and the other. Um, I didn't know what bucket was at the time because he was still so far away, and I'm like, this can't be happening. I'm pinned. I can't get up. I can't move. I have a buck coming in, and he's coming fast. Like, he is not mojying around, sniffing, nothing. He is on a beeline right for me. So I'm watching him and trying to watch the doe to see what I can move and get away with, and all of a sudden, he's at 40 yards, and I realize it's the big 11 point, which I nicknamed ice because I hunted him in the ice storm. Um, he's at 40 yards, and he's coming, and I'm still sitting in my tree stand. My bow is on my bow hook, and I am literally in a pickle right now. The doe is still looking at me, and I'm like, this cannot be happening. So I'm like, either option A, The buck is literally just going to come in and come through and make his way out of here and I'm still gonna be sitting and not get a shot. Or B, I'm going to get up and the doe's gonna blow out and so is the buck and I'm still not gonna get shot. So either way, I feel like I'm pretty well screwed in this situation. So I tried option B of getting up while the doe is slightly keeping an eye on me and just hoping that I can move slow enough to where she doesn't spook and pick me off. And that was a really, really ballsy move to do that with that buck that close, Um, but it's what I did. She kind of was keeping an eye on me and I moved in such a slow motion that she didn't even realize that I was moving. And I was able to get stood up somehow or the other, don't tell me how, but the next problem is there was no way I was gonna be able to move my arm out to reach my bow because she obviously would definitely pick that out. Thankfully, the buck was close enough to where she ended up focusing her attention on him for a split second. So I hurried and I went like this and I got my hand on my bow and I stopped. So she, then she kind of looked back at me again. So at least I got that far. And then she looked back at the buck and I hurried up and I pulled my bow off my bow hanger and jerked it right in front of me real fast. And then she looked up at me and then I was good. I didn't move. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. so. <laughs> So finally, he gets so close to where she bolts, you know, because them does when a buck gets too close to him, they just take off and get the heck out of Dodge. That's what she did, which was the greatest thing that could have ever happened. So I'm like, okay, now I still have to get turned, put my release on my string and get drawn back with this deer being this close to me. So, I had this bundle of like three trunk trees out to my right, kind of diagonally to my right down the hill. And he was about to walk behind that bunch of big tree trunks. So, I'm like, okay, as soon as he walks behind that, I'm going to turn, put my release on, and draw really quick. And that's what I did. He put his head behind the tree. I did all that, got drawn back to where by the time he put his head out on the opposite side and continued to walk through, I was already ready. Drawled back and ready to go so he ended up stopping because the fawn was there and he looked at the doe and he's at 13 yards like and I have my sight set my pins on 20 so he is so close and I'm over 20 feet in the air so it's a steep angle you know everything just happens so quick you're just your brain leaves you when a big buck comes in and I should have aimed lower to you know common for it being so close and such a steep angle, but I didn't. I still aimed where I would normally aim like an idiot. And I felt confident though. I felt good. I squeezed it off and I heard the arrow hit him and he literally rolled around and took straight off from me. Like he was going Mach mock 10. He took off so fast to where, honestly, I couldn't even see where my left to right was on him all I could see was it looked like it was a little high and my arrow got like no penetration. Like I was completely clueless on how I didn't get any penetration at 13 yards when I usually blow right through deer at 20 yards. So, you know, I immediately start panicking. I thought I saw him go on around the ridge. My arrow was still in him. I didn't really hear a crash I didn't know where he went so I immediately start calling everybody telling them about you know what happened what do they think of the shot you know I don't know what to think of the shot so I ended up deciding to sit for I don't know 15 20 minutes before I got down and actually more deer were coming so I had to hurry up and get down before they saw me up in that stand um so I got down. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not sure where I hit him, where my left or right was. Really not sure anything at this point. So I get down. I'm like, well, I'm going to see. Obviously, I'm not going to find my arrow because I could see my arrow was still in him, but not far. So it's like, I'll well, see if I can find blood that might tell me not the first drop. And it's snow covered. So blood should be easy to see. Not the first drop of blood. I went like 80 yards. I Thought I was on his tracks where he took off running. It was a big set of buck tracks. It was running hard around the hill in the snow. And so I was following them tracks for about 80 yards in the wide open woods and not the first drop of blood. So my heart just immediately sinks like, you know, what had happened. So I ended up just backing out for the whole entire night. I knew that was the best thing to do with being unsure of the shot.
1: Um, Isn't that that the worst? Like, everything you just described, like, every single bow hunter has been there, you know? Like, you, you finally get this buck that you really want, and you make a shot, and you hit the thing. You know, it's bad enough when you miss. When you miss, that's really deflating, but you missed, and it's just over, you know what I mean? You just deal with it. But, like, yeah, you got this shot, and... You can't make sense of the shot and then the deer runs off and gets out of sight, you know, real quick. Then you start to question everything and you're asking yourself, you know, did did what I just saw happen really happen or did I see something else? And then then you're trying to, like, replay it in your mind. Then you're then you're like, well. I didn't get any penetration. Well, maybe I actually like went in and it hit the opposite shoulder and it bounced out so quick. And that's why it didn't look. Or did I hear a crack? And did I hear a bone? And what if this happened? And what if that happened? And then like you get yourself completely like convinced, like. I could tell you if I could be there like the little devil on your shoulder in that moment, I could conv- and we'd all be the same way. Like I could convince you of anything in that moment. Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, that probably what happened. That probably what happened, you know, and it's like, oh, it's the worst. And then you get down. So it's like you said, you're like, oh, I'll get down. Oh, uh, You know, in your case, you knew his arrow was in him, but it's like, I'll look for my arrow or I'll look for my butt. And like, and again, we've all been there. It's like. Uh, I know he was standing right here. And you're like, there's no hair, no blood, not one speck of blood, not one single hair. I can't find my arrow. My arrow's not anywhere. Oh, I'll just go a little bit the way that he went. I know he went this way. And if I can find like a little bit of blood, then I'll have some hope. And you go down there and like, there's no blood. And you're like, you have nothing. You have nothing to go on, nothing to encourage you. And you have to go home. I mean, yeah. it, oh, I literally
0: it, had zero hope sucks. at that point. It's Sucks! It totally sucks. It really sucks. And I just kept telling people, I was like, how can I screw something up at 13 yards that freaking bad to where there's no blood, there's no air, there's no deer, there's nothing. I'm like, if I screwed up at 13 yards, I might as well just hang the bow up.
1: <laughs> well, and, and the other thing, you know, in your case, like this is the day before closing of season. And at this point, how many how many days, how many hours, how many sits have you put in?
0: Over seventy.
1: Right. Yep. So over, over, over seventy s- days. Over se- seventy days or seventy sits?
0: Seventy days.
1: So more than seventy sits, because I'm sure you yep. hunted morning morning and evening on some of the days. Yep. So you you've put literally over, you know, let's conservatively say you've got over 250 hours probably in a tree at this point for, to to get those limbs bent back. So, I mean, you know, no pressure or anything, but there's a lot riding on whether (laughs) you find this deer the next day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No pressure at all. It's only almost the last day of season and I've hunted over 70 days and, you know, my mental capacity, there's not much left there at this point after the season that I've had. And then I have to go home and try to sleep at night. Um, I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I got up the next, you know, morning. I thought I was going to throw up. I still couldn't eat. I was a train wreck. My feet, my hands were sweating because I was so nervous. I was just a freaking train wreck at this point. <laughs> So I got up at the butt crack of dawn. I'm like, I am, I'm not waiting for anybody to come here and help me. I was like, I got to go out there and figure out what's going on. If I can find this deer, I've got to do it now because this is the last day of season and I've got to find this deer or I am screwed. So I go out there the first thing in the morning, put all my stuff on, go out there with my bow, everything, get back on the set of tracks where I left off. And I'm following these tracks and I'm going farther and I'm going farther and I'm going farther. And then all of a sudden it's just like the tracks just disappear into thin air like he grew wings and just flew off. They were there and then they were gone. And I'm like this makes absolutely and I just wandered around in circles. Going across here, going around here, going to the this bedding area. I mean, going everywhere and I found nothing. No arrow, no blood, no hair. And no deer, and the tracks just disappear. And at that point, I just start bawling my eyes out. I'm like, this cannot possibly be happening to me. I'm not worried about me filling the tag. I'm worried because I think that I just wounded an animal. And that's the worst feeling in the world. I can't sleep at night knowing there could be an animal out there that is suffering because I possibly made a bad shot. So I am just. A train wreck. I went back home. I'm like, okay, need to get some help out there. Need to get more people out there. We may just have to start grid searching. I called even a deer tracking dog and I told him what happened. He wasn't even confident about the shot, which made it even worse because he's tracked thousands of deer. And so he's like, well, let me know what happens and then I'll be on my way. So we go back out there. Um, Nathan gets on. the the set of tracks I originally went on. We start back at the start from where I shot him. He starts following that set of tracks. I start looking around. I'm like, wait a minute. Here's another set of running buck tracks, ironically. Like 15 yards below the original set that I was looking at, which had me really confused because there have been no bucks in there, let alone one that's ran the same exact direction that mine did. So. He decided to follow that set that I was originally on, and I followed this new set. So the new set kind of went around the hill and then down over the bank to the creek. I'm like, I don't remember him going down over the bank. I swore I saw him go on around the hill and disappear. Like I said, things happen so fast. I was seeing things, apparently. I followed that set of tracks, and I started to go down over the bank, and I had my binos. And I pull him out and I'm like, what the heck is that? And so I pull it up and I see a deer's face and I see a rack tangled up in a tree on the side of the steep, icy snow bank. He got caught on a tree going down the bank. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's him. Like, I just couldn't believe it. I literally walked by this deer how many times and literally he was right there, but just over the bank, and I had no idea there was still no blood. He never where the deer was laying. There still wasn't any blood. And to backtrack for just a minute, I had the same thing happen on my 2015 buck. I shot him a little bit high, and my arrow went in, and the broadhead actually hit a rib on the opposite side and deflected it back out the the whole you know side that I shot him in. The same exact thing happened. I hit a rib. On that other side, and literally the arrow was laying perfectly untouched right next to him. It had completely come back out. It, I mean, the craziest thing: there was no blood. The arrow wasn't broke. Nothing. But he, it just internally just tore him completely up. Well, and I mean, I was going to say he had he to expired be fired in minutes.
1: Oh, he had yeah, and he had to be full of blood inside in his he chest. He was body. completely yeah. full. Yeah. yeah, and
0: he, I mean, he expired in seconds after I shot him. And I didn't even know it. I walk had walked right by him how many times?
1: <gasps> See that? You had you had a perfectly good cry all alone in the woods for nothing.
0: <laughs> it was a good cry, all right. I was devastated.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad that it turned out a lot happier than that. And now I gotta ask you, now, you know, yeah, people always, I mean, bow hunters, we we love to debate this stuff anyways, but I always like to work some equipment in, anyways. Now Tell me about your bow. How many pounds are you shooting? What broadhead are you using? And do you feel like that had any impact? You know, do you think that, you know, Clint or I would have had the same result? Or, or do you think it was just because maybe you don't have as much energy? Or maybe you do. Maybe you're going to tell me, hey, I'm shooting 75 pounds.
0: So, yeah, I was, I shoot... Obviously, Matthews VXR. I'm still shooting it, and I'm actually I'm up to 52 pounds, is which I'm shooting now. Which I mean, with that bow, I can you know I can sling some arrows pretty good, and I can get a lot of good speed and stuff with that. So, um, and I'm shooting the Carbon Express. They're uh, a Matthews Maxima edition. They're a small diameter arrow, and I've shot them for years. Actually, they're discontinued. You can't even get them anymore. But I love the arrows so much, and luckily I bought plenty of them that I have plenty. Um, and then for the first time, I was using um, the Rec Rec broadheads. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Um, they come never,
1: out. Of, ne- they never, never heard of them.
0: They come out of a Michigan. They're all USA made. They're tremendous uh, broadheads. So I was shooting um, one of their uh, Rec expandable broadheads, which puts a heck of a hole in them. So they have, you know, they're. Um, expandable and their fixed blade, and their blades are interchangeable. So you can change interchange in between fixed and expandable. They're pretty neat. so you have to check them out. Um, but yeah, so that's you know the main the main pieces of equipment uh, to the story there that I was using. so
1: <laughs> and And so, do you feel like even though you didn't have an exit, you didn't have a blood trail that everything still did a a, a good job? You think it was just kind oh, of a, yeah. flu- a fluke of the angle?
0: It was literally a fluke. It just, you know, when you shoot any broadhead, especially expandables, I mean, you have to think about, you know, how many bones are there and, you know, it just takes one blade to nick a bone and it could turn, turn your, your arrow completely. It can come back out. It can ricochet. I mean, there's so many things that can happen that, I mean, no matter what equipment you use, you can't, you can't predict how that arrow hits and, you know, the angle and stuff of which things go in and come out. So, I mean, everything did great. Like I said, I mean, he expired in literally seconds. He didn't even go 70 yards. So, I mean, I was thankful he didn't end up suffering like I thought he was the whole time. So I was really thankful for that.
1: So tell me about this buck then. I mean, how big was this deer? What's his rack like? Um, You know, you don't happen to have it there, do you?
0: No, I don't. He's at the taxidermist. (laughs) You just
1: have to, you just have to paint us a word picture, Emily.
0: Yeah. So this deer obviously was a mature buck. Um, He's a buck that I've had years of history with. He was kind of a deer similar to, he was an 11 point. Um, He was a deer kind of similar to heavy. He never, like he had better genetics Then Heavy, obviously, he was an 11-point. I mean, he had, you know, super mass. He had, like, six inches of mass just on his bases. I mean, he was an incredibly heavy, massive deer. Um, But he never really was going to get that potential to be, like, a true giant. I mean, at this point, he was a mid-140s buck is what he ended up being. And, honestly, he probably wasn't going to be any bigger. He was probably going to stay right around that. But, I mean, his body was incredible for being a late, late, late season whitetail. I mean, he had a big neck on him. He had a big body. I mean, he wasn't a rundown bony feeling buck like they usually feel after the rut. I mean, he felt like he was in really good shape. And I have pictures of him from uh, pre-rut time in the food plot. And I mean, he literally look like an angus bull standing there i mean he was the most ridiculous body size deer you'd ever seen so he was just a very large deer all the way around so he was was pretty neat.
1: that's awesome and the thing is i always say you know with so many of these trophies you know every hunt is unique and you know everybody's season has different circumstances and if you do the conversion factor you know, you factor in all the days that you hunted, sticking with it to the to the bitter end, going through all that cold suffering, you know, every tear that you had to shed in the woods there like that bumps it up to like being almost a one hundred ninety inch deer. Just like, <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm I'm kidding, but I'm not really kidding. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we get we get too caught up in judging you know, trophies based on score. And I mean, hey, score is interesting. And if you ask me if I'd rather shoot a 200-inch deer than a 120-inch deer, I'm going to say yes. But, you know, there are things about these seasons. I know when you see that mount that's going to go on the wall there at your house, you're always going to have, you know, some incredible memories and a great story off of this past hunting season because it was, you know, one of probably the more, Oh, you know, you've said you've eaten some tags, but in terms of, you know, quote, successful seasons, as far as actually killing, you know, a target buck, it has to be right up there as one of your more challenging seasons.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this, this deer, he, he may not have been 190 inches. He may not have been 200 inches, but he was a mature deer. And with how the season went and how it ended and all the past, I feel like, the deer that mean the most to me are the deer that I've built a story with. I have a storyline. You know, I have years of past history. Those are the deer that mean the most to me. There could have been a 200-incher that walked in front of me that I'd never seen before, but that deer wouldn't mean as much to me as what this deer that I killed on February 5th did because I had such a storyline, you know, with that deer for years that he meant just as much to me as Freak meant to me being 190 inches. And he was not 190 inches.
1: And that right there, folks, is why you want to have friends like Emily (laughs) Shad and Clint Casper because Clint literally does the same thing. Clint will be after a particular deer and he will let 160s, walk by him all day because it's not the deer and that's where i'm like my man my man clint because all you got to do is put me in the next tree stand down the ridge and i'll shoot that 160 that you passed every single day and twice on sunday baby and be happy about it
0: yep yep
1: (laughs) so okay so wrapping it up here because we are like past time, but it was a great story. I mean, I've had fun. Hopefully everybody has enjoyed listening to, you know, the twists and turns of Emily's season. But as you look back now, obviously you've got the trophy, you've got a great story. Was there one or two things that you learned or that you take away from this year that you would share with other people and say, hey, this is what I'm going to take with me as I head into 2022 and maybe it's going to help me to be, you know, a better bow hunter uh, going forward?
0: I mean, some of the few things that I took away from this season that I will continue to take with me that I think everybody should keep in mind is no matter how many times you get punched, how many times you get knocked down, no matter what goes wrong, you know, always, you always want to never settle. You always want to adapt to the situations and you always want to be able to make a change. Even if you think the change isn't possible, make the change because I had to do that several times this year and completely move setups in entirety when I didn't even think it was possible because of the way the layout of the property. So you just never, you never want to give up. You never want to settle. You always want to grind to the bitter end because just like that, it took to the second to last day. If I would have just threw in the towel and gave up, look what I would have missed on. So always keep grinding, never give up, never settle, always adapt and with things with chasing mature deer, I learned a lot of things about mature deer, about how the way I was hanging cameras, that was a big, big thing this year. Um, you know, pay attention to how your deer react to things that you're doing. Any little change can completely deter a mature buck from your area. You just have to realize the change and either completely take it out of the picture or make an adjustment. And one last thing is, even if you're not getting pictures of bucks on your camera, you'll be surprised how many of them are literally knocking on your door and you don't know it just because you're not getting pictures. Ghost was there the whole entire time and I never knew it until I physically saw him from the stand and I knew what, I figured out what he was doing and he was there the whole time and I didn't know it. So if well, that, you're not getting pictures of bucks on camera, that does not mean they are not there.
1: <laughs> that 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 is huge. And you know, that's something that Clint and I stumbled on this fall. We started to have some conversations about this topic. And we've discussed it a number of times since then. And I am absolutely gonna be doing a story for the magazine later this year called What the Cameras What the Camera Doesn't See. Because You know, we don't have time to get into it, but we could do a whole episode and we will at some point about how we we all fall into the trap of thinking that, like, the camera sees all. And the truth is the the camera sees a little the camera sees all. Of what's in front of it but it exactly. doesn't it doesn't see all of everything by it any doesn't stretch see of. What,
0: what, what's walking across the holler or what's walking directly behind it i mean that
1: that's right so yeah it's a great topic it's a great point and it's something that we all need to be reminded of so hey emily yep. i really appreciate it i mean so there you heard it folks you heard it from you know from the hunter herself Three great pieces of advice that will absolutely lead to consistent success. She's living proof, right? Never settle, never give up, keep grinding. If you just do those three things, honestly, you can be a fairly mediocre bow hunter. And I'm not saying you are, Emily, but I'm just saying a mediocre bow hunter who refuses to settle, refuses to give up and just keeps on grinding is going to be successful in the long run. And I would put yep. my money. I would put my money on a mediocre bow hunter who does those three things that I would. You know, somebody who's a, quote, expert who really isn't willing to give it the full effort. So, hey, you get a you get an A for effort and (laughs) congratulations on your awesome season. (laughs) Yep.
0: Yep. And
1: and stay tuned. If you don't have your subscription to Peterson's Bowhunting, shame on you, because we are going to have another blowout feature, just like we did on The Freak last year. A big, big feature about ice that'll be coming up, um, actually probably in our November, December issue, towards the end of the year, because you killed it in the late season. But it gives us all something to look forward to throughout
0: 2022. Yep, and the story will have a lot more very detailed happenings, um, that's some of the things I didn't hit on. So you wanna make sure that you stay tuned and read that article. (laughs) All right, well, it
1: sounds great. Thanks again, Emily, and I'm sure we will be talking again soon. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bowhunting Podcast. All bowhunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand, or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.